Let us bow our heads, have a word of prayer, and get into God's word. Gracious God, guide us as we study your word. May it speak to our hearts. Your word, it's a light to our path, and it's a lamp to our feet. May we follow your word. May it ever give us comfort. And in it, may we always see Christ being revealed. So we pray that you would hold our attention for the next few minutes as we feast on Scripture. May we leave this place committed to following you, come what may. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a beautiful book that is written by Richard Foster. It's a book on the topic of prayer. And it's a book that I have enjoyed reading over the years. In this book, Richard Foster says something about prayer that also relates to our spiritual walk with God. I want to share that thought with you this morning as we reflect on this sermon, Looking for Higher Ground. That song says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. The songwriter is expressing a desire to grow in God, to not be at that same place day in and day out. If this is our desire as Christians, how can we make this practical in our everyday lives? I believe what Richard Foster says in this book called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, is a clue to how we can accomplish that. Foster says, and I'm quoting, it is common in our day to define freedom as the absolute removal of all restraints. Once we think about it, even for a moment, we realize how utterly, note the words he uses, utterly ludicrous this idea really is. He says, absolute freedom is absolute nonsense. Now where is Foster going with this? He says, we gain freedom in anything. Now he's not saying that freedom does not exist. But he says, we gain freedom in anything through commitment discipline, and fixed habits. He gives us an example of such freedom. He says George Frederick Handel was able to compose his magnificent Messiah. Oh, how we enjoy that piece of music. Only because he had schooled himself in musical composition by means of intense personal discipline. He says freedom if we want to have it. And this morning I believe as Christians, we believe that we have freedom 
through Christ Jesus. But if we are going to affirm this freedom in Christ Jesus, it comes through discipline and commitment. The passage that we have read this morning as a means of reflection for this sermon is perhaps one of the most scandalous passages in the Bible. We know this story very well. And because it's quite scandalous, I did not need to go beyond verse 3 for our scripture reading, where David is walking on his roof in the cool of the day, and before him is presented a situation that will test his spiritual discipline. Oh, how many times I have read this story and have said to myself, wouldn't it have been a happier ending if this story had only concluded at verse 3 where we pause this morning for our scripture reading? Oh, wouldn't it have been a better ending if David's curiosity had not gotten the better of him? I don't know where it came from, but my mom used to always say to me, curiosity killed the cat. You know, one of these days I'm going to take some time and I'm going to try and research who came up with that statement. I'm going to try and research why did they say that. And most importantly, I'm going to try to determine how exactly did curiosity kill the cat. I don't know, but the statement is out there. And this morning we can say that David's curiosity almost cost him his salvation. Can we agree to that? If only he had stopped in verse 3. Ellen White tells us in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 717, that the lessons of Bible history teach us that it is a perilous thing to praise or exalt men. Why is that the case? Because she says we are flesh and we are prone to weaknesses. She says that man cannot trust in his own strength. That man has to trust in God. Man cannot look to himself for spiritual protection. We must look to God. In the book of Ephesians, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 10. It says there, finally, my brethren, be strong in your own strength. Of course it doesn't say that. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let us make no bones about it this morning, brothers and sisters. I'm not here to give glory to Satan and what he can do. I'm here to give glory to God because God helps us to overcome. 
But let us not fool ourselves that we face an adversary on a daily basis. And the Bible tells us that this adversary that we face is like a roaring lion seeking whomever he can devour. You know, when I sat this week and I listened to the events that were unfolding in Manchester, I had to ask myself this question, especially as we try to be light for those who are in the world. I had to ask myself this question, how many of those individuals who have witnessed this situation are saying, how can people trust in God? Because the perpetrators of these evil tendencies are not a true witness of who God is. But for people who are looking on from the outside, for people who are looking on from the outside, they see all of this being done in a fanatical approach to spirituality. And they may say, how can people still believe in God? You see, when these things happen, one of the things that I believe is going on is that the enemy is trying whatever he can to disillusion those who would give their hearts to God and to make it more difficult for us who are believers to explain that God is still a loving God. But the Bible tells us even in these difficult times, we cannot depend on ourselves, but we have to put on the whole armor of God from which we are going to obtain strength. If only David had done something that follows on in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, history would have been different. In Ephesians 6 and verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication. I want to say to you this morning that when we feel or sense that the enemy is trying to get the better of us, regardless of the method that he tries, it is good to pause and pray. It is good to pause and pray. In fact, Francis D. Nichols, as he wrote on this passage of scripture in the seventh day Adventist Bible commentary, he said that David would not have found himself in this situation, brothers and sisters, if he had paused for a moment. When the enemy presents himself to us, it is wise to just pause for a moment. I'm going to share a little bit of a story from my personal experiences with respect to how important it is to pause for a moment. You know, I'm a very energy conscious kind of guy. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if I go to my home and I notice that the lights are on, oh, and there's people sitting maybe over in this room and the lights are on all throughout the house and no one is there, I lose it. It doesn't matter where I'm coming from. I could be leaving Belleville preaching this sermon, and you regard me as a pastor. Of course, we are flesh and blood. And if I walk into my house at 1245 today, 
and all of the lights are on and there's no one in the room. Oh boy, how it causes me to boil. And instead of saying, hello, how are you kids? I have two kids. How are you, honey? The first thing that will come out of my mouth is, why are the lights on in this house? Don't you know that somebody has to pay for that electricity? And I remember one Wednesday night when I came home from prayer meeting, just having conducted prayer meeting. My lovely wife, she was sitting in the house. Now, she's not afraid of the dark. And all the lights were on. And I walked in and I said, what are the lights doing on? And she said to me, didn't you just come from prayer meeting? Couldn't you walk into the house and say, hi, honey, how was your day? How were you doing? And you know, just that little time to pause and to think it through, to allow the emotions, whatever they may be, to come up and to disappear, helps us to handle situations. What if David had paused for a moment and said, you know what? I know where this situation could potentially lead. I don't have to get into the rest of the story. If only he had paused for a moment. If only he had stopped and prayed. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I cannot think of, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I cannot think of a situation where I stopped and asked God to lead me in what I was doing that he did not come to my assistance. If only David had stopped and prayed. If only he had thought, perhaps, about the responsibilities of running the kingdom. My mom used to always say to me, the enemy finds work for idle hands. When temptation comes our way, if only we can move our thoughts from that thing that the enemy may want us to focus on to some work that God would have us do in his church. Perhaps give a Bible study. Maybe call that sister or brother who is sick or who needs a word of encouragement. Wouldn't that make a difference in our lives? And so Francis D. Nichols in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary tells us that when temptation comes our way, we should pause. We should pray. We should say, Lord, is there anything that I can do in this moment to give you honor and glory? As David fell to this issue, and I hope that I'm not skipping ahead too far. We know this story well, don't we? We all know this story well. As David fell to this issue, as he contemplated what his next moves would be to cover up his sin, we know that it was not an easy process. I want to invite you to look at Psalms 32 with me as we look at another way in which we can avoid falling to temptation and living on higher grounds. In fact, achieving not Christian perfection, because the verse that says, 
be ye perfect, is a rendering of the Hebrew word, of the Greek word teleos, which means be ye mature. Let's take a look for a minute. In Psalms 32, because it is believed by some that this is a psalm that was penned by David as he was dealing with the Spirit of God speaking to him as he was plotting all of these moves. The move to lure Uriah home to spend time with his wife. The move to have him placed at the forefront of the battle so that he could be killed. You know, there is no person who is trusting in God who can make all of these deliberate, sinful calculations without the Spirit of God still speaking to us. So it is believed that Psalms 32 was written in response to the spiritual turmoil that David was experiencing. Psalms 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3 is very important. In verse 3, it says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. For night and day your hands was heavy upon me. Many of us know Psalms 51, in which David responds to Nathan's pointing out of his transgressions. But few of us are aware of the fact that Psalms 32 is also associated with this story. You see, Psalms 32 gives us an insight into what is happening psychologically to David as he is going through this situation. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us and it convicts us of things that are outside of God's will. And we can see from this psalm that David is struggling with such a situation. He says, when I kept silent, in other words, when I did not confess my sins to God, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long, for your hand was heavy upon me. I want to say, brothers and sisters, that as we seek to live on higher ground, one of the things that we should pray to God for is a conscience that is always open to his correction. A conscience that is always open to his correction. As we seek for spiritual higher ground, there is nothing wrong if we take action on something and a sense of guilt emerges. That may sound strange. But I think when guilt emerges, it is a situation where God is beckoning us to take a second thought on what might be unfolding. So even though at times we may see 
guilt as something that we want to shed, we should also see it as something through which God might be speaking to us. However, as Christians, we don't want to stay in that place. Who wants to have a Christian experience that is based only on guilt? So guilt, as we see here in this story, and as we see here in this psalm, is something that would provoke David to the next level of God taking us to higher ground. And that is conviction, a convicted conscience. The convicted conscience then leads us into confession of what we may have done. And confession, once there is confession, there is an opportunity for conversion. Those four things are something that we should remember. Those four things are something that we should remember. If only David had allowed his conscience, and if only he had responded to his conscience, then what we see in the remainder of Second Samuel chapter 11 would not have been the case. You see, God places everything in the Bible for our good. We learn from those stories that inspire us, and we learn from the mistakes of others as well. I'll take one final lesson from this story that can help us to achieve a higher walk with God. The first lesson is we pause, we stop, we pray. The second lesson is that if we are convicted by our conscience, we allow our conscience under the leading of the Holy Spirit to reveal what may be God's alternate intention for our lives. The third lesson is not found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And this is perhaps the most challenging lesson for us as we live as Christians in a world where we affirm our individuality. And this is the person of God providing counsel and correction. In the book of Peter, which we have been studying, we are familiar with the concept of the priesthood of all believers. And in fact, in other places of Scripture, the Word of God tells us, come boldly before the throne of God and speak to God individually, whereby we can obtain help in our time of need. Word of God tells us also, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And so as we live in an age where we have this theology as well as the affirmation of the self, it is often very hard for us as Christians to take counsel from another loving, well-intended Christian. You see, Uriah had nothing bad 
in mind for David. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to have someone point out our faults. And of course, when someone comes to us, we have to be very careful about what their motives are. I'm talking about practical Christianity this morning. We also have to be very careful about what their motives are. But this third pointer is perhaps the most challenging when someone comes to us and says, you know, brother or sister, pastor, perhaps what you're doing is not the best thing. And this is where we require all of the grace that God can give. I kind of like David's response to Nathan. Nathan came with good intentions. He told David a story. And as David listened to the story, he could see the injustice of what had happened. And finally Nathan said to him, you know what David, you are this man. You are this man. And I want to suggest to you this morning, if we use a little bit of sanctified imagination as we come to a close on this third lesson, that David had a choice at that point. He could have responded like many of the unrighteous kings who followed him and perhaps tried to kill the prophet, send the prophet off into exile. But his heart was broken to God. Christian counsel, Christian counsel, good advice from a brother or sister can also help us in our spiritual walk with God. We must have discerning attention as David exhibited to know that the counsel was from God. And I like how David responded. Because in Psalms 51, that psalm that we love so much, that psalm which gives us hope when we fall, David fell to his knees. And he said what I have said so many times when I have fallen. And perhaps what you have said so many times when you fell. Have mercy upon me, O God. In Psalms 51, he says, Wash me and make me whiter than snow. He said, against you and against you, God, I have sinned. And God forgave David. God forgave him. Despite his failures and his flaws, we could see why the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Many times when I read this story, I wish that David was like Joseph, as we see in Psalms 39. The really high road. The place that we want to get to when the enemy tries to beset us because he is trying to beset us because we're living in the last days. I like what Joseph said. It's the ultimate picture of higher ground. When Joseph was put in the same situation as David, Joseph said, 
how could I do such a great sin against my fellow man, his master, and against God? The ultimate higher ground. And Joseph also said, no matter what it costs me, I'm willing to pay the price. And what a glorious ending that story had. Because God, even though he went through a time of hardship, lifted him up. His life was a life that was fully consecrated to God. I want to leave you with hope this morning as we close. Regardless of how the enemy comes upon us, let us put on the whole armor of God. Let us reflect on all of scripture that we may see God being revealed. Let us take lessons from the failures as well as from the successes so that when Jesus comes, none of us may be found wanting, but that God might say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. May God bless you, and may God provide guidance to you as we deal with the challenges of the times in which we live. And may we all be found faithful when he comes.